Doug Scheiding of Rogue Cookers, baseball fan and barbecue world champion. You are listening to the Baseball and Barbecue Show with Lynn and Jeff. for that introduction and we want to thank rich baxter because him and harry mack do the baseball radio talk show on youtube and on the podcast and you should check them out they are excellent so good that we put them prior to even introducing us so jeff and len episode 88 we start the show with a big shout out to the baseball radio talk show. Exactly. They are great guys. Give them a listen. And now, welcome to episode 88 of Baseball and Barbecue. I am Len Aberman, and I am joined by my illustrious, and I do mean illustrious, co-host, Jeff Cohen, the man who basically gets around, and I'll explain what I mean. Hello, what, Jeff. What, what, illustrious? What are you talking about? Uh, Hello, Mr. Leonard. Jeff? Yeah. I'm so glad to be here. Double eights. And if you put eight on its side, what is it? Infinity. That's right. This is just one of forever episodes. <laughs> but, you know, let's just talk about you for a second, my Me? friend. Me? Me? Yes. Why am I so special? Because you've been doing some great work outside of this podcast. You have been promoting the, I'm going to say you're doing this because you are promoting the heck out of our podcast. But I heard you, boy, but my day yesterday was spent listening to Jeff Cohen on other podcasts. I heard you on Baseball PhD. Yes. You were fantastic. They had you on because you are knowledgeable because you are personable and you know what the heck you're talking about. And you basically brought light to their show. You talked about the, the potential rule changes, right? That is going on this year in minor league ball. Yes. And uh, Ed Farley and Mark are really great guys. Uh, it was fun to hang out with them and, and talk about the new rules. And they have a third guy, right? But you didn't talk to the third guy. What Mark. The, oh, Mark. Okay. So it's Ed Mark and Farley and Farley. Okay. All right. And then, then it didn't stop there. You also were on with none other than Sully, Sully baseball from Locked On MLB. 
Yeah, and it was fantastic. And tell us, what, what did you talk about there? Well, uh, Lockdown Number will be on Sundays. Sully does a Sunday request. So he asks people via Twitter to send in questions and he'll, he'll just answer them. But I've been sending him a lot of questions, so he decided to have me on by myself, and I just rapid-fire give him questions. Well, not rapid-fire. I say a question, he'll give me an answer. Not, nothing to prepare. So we did that. That was great. And you, so, guys, if you want to hear Jeff on other podcasts without me, <laughs> which I, I would imagine most people would, go listen. Really, check it out. Baseball PhD, solely Locked on Baseball. Both of them, great. Jeff, I don't leave the house without consulting you, but you obviously are able to do things without me. Let me just say, Sully's show is called Locked on MLB. Locked on MLB. But wait a second. I'm not the only one going on podcasts, my man. You. (laughs) You are going on the the granddaddy of all barbecue podcasts. Yes, well, it hasn't happened yet, but eventually it will. And when it does, we'll give details and stuff. And I, I am very excited about it. Yes, I am. Okay. I am quite excited. Yes. So, look, that's great. Now, whatever, whatever you're listening to this, you know, truth be told, we are recording it in the evening, but people listen any time of day, right? We have none other than Steve Ray, part two. Yes, part two. Right? Yes. And it's just as good as part one. In this section, he talks a lot about barbecue, talks a lot about his, his store where he's selling all his rubs and sauces. You even came up with a recommendation to him to have none other than Ray Sheehan, our friend, have his sauces and rubs in the store. And by the way, I couldn't agree with you more. He hopefully he will. But that's Steve Ray part two. And then, Jeff, who's our second interview going to be with? It's with a gentleman named Jordan Scott, and he is on a mission to have all parks around the country more safe. He has a website called Foulball Safety Now, and he gives very compelling arguments on why baseball should be more serious about putting netting in the, in the stadium. We know there is netting now, but he doesn't think it's sufficient. And we're going to talk to him about why, why he's, he's on this mission. You know, Jeff, sometimes we have guests on that are, that the names are just, you know, they, sh- they jump out at you. And, uh, you know, we, we, could, we don't have to do a laundry list of names, but we know there are names that are recognizable. Obviously, Jordan Scott is not one of them. And yet, if people do not listen to this, and understand the message that he's sending and enjoy this, this conversation and the importance of ballpark safety. I think they're missing out and it's a shame. It's a shame. You know, we should have said like, we should have like threw a name in like, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever, some, some professional player or something and said, Oh, well he, he's not on, but he plays in the stadium that (laughs) Jordan Scott wants to protect or something. Right. But, you know, whatever. Anyway. And if you listen to these interviews, if you want to get in touch with us. There you go. Give us a call. 516-855-8214. Email us. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Baseball and BBQ. Our Twitter address is at Baseball and BBQ. 
YouTube, guess what? It's at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And we ask you to please, please rate and review us. You could never do this podcast and be in the witness protection program. (laughs) (laughs) Because you could never hide. All right, Jeff. Without further ado, we bring you part two, Steve Ray, of Al's Nest Barbecue from Ultawa, Tennessee. Where? Ultawa. So, Steve, I want to get back to some barbecue talk. I see that in your store you sell a lot of rubs and, and sauces. I mean, I, on your video, there are shelves and shelves of them. Yep. They must be great sellers. Some sell, some don't. What what I found is people, people that that do what we do. When when you know, like when you go into the store, uh, and in Chattanooga we had we had nothing like this. The closest place was an Ace Hardware we have, and they do a great job. It's one, it's 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 about ten miles from me. Harold Harold runs it, and he does a great job with his outdoor live fire cooking inventory. But he and he had the greatest selection in town. But it wasn't that much people. You know, I like to, when I go somewhere to look at stuff, I like to see a bunch of stuff and it just makes me buy more. And I think when people see more, they buy more. I keep a stack of boxes in the corner that, you know, that instead of throwing them away when we empty them, I just keep them there for people to, you know, load up. When they come in, I hand them a box, they'll grab a box and they just load it up with all different kinds. And even, even with the selection that I had, they're still you know, people that will come in, are you going to carry this? Are you going to carry that? You know, you're going to get this one, you're going to get that one. Because there's so many out there. But I try to keep the, the big names that people recognize. Now, are those big names specific to your area of the country? Because the only one I recognized was Blue Hogs in your store. The other ones I've never recognized before. You must not be looking at Malcolm Reed, Killer Hogs, Had a Barbecue Right. Right. I mean, he's Malcolm's huge. David Bosco. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of got me started in this business. He's huge. Uh, I've got Myron's. I've got Heath Riles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got the full uh, the full lineup of uh, Meat Church. Uncle Steve, full lineup of Uncle Steve's. He's big. I've got a big lineup of uh, Suckle Busters from Texas. I've got uh, the guys from Florida. I've got Sweet Smoke Q stuff in there. Jim Elzer's. I've got um, Rub Bagby stuff in there. People that I that I know that I that I you know I respect people that are fun to do business with, you know, doing business with these people. It's such a, uh, some of them, some of them take it really seriously. Some of them not so seriously. Some of them are good at it. Some of them are not good at it. Sometimes you got to, you know, send a few emails to get some product in. Sometimes you just pick up the phone and boom, it's there the next day. Uh, Sometimes you go through a a website, you go through somebody's, so many people, some of them have agents. I'll tell you the funny thing, when you call an order from um, Myron Mixon, he may pick up the phone. His uh, sister may pick up the phone. His uh, brothers will pick up the phone. It's a, it's a family-run operation. And uh, you just talk right to the people. That's kind of neat. In our travels, we've met an entrepreneur who has barbecue sauce. His name is Ray Sheehan. And he has, it's called Barbecue Buddha. And he makes great sauces. So uh, if you want to check him out, maybe uh, try his sauce. Yeah, he also has a great cookbook out now award-winning barbecue sauces and uh, I think in rubs that he keeps winning a bunch of awards. It keeps 
placed on a bunch of the best of 2020 lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a great guy because you talked about people that you like to deal with. Definitely Ray Sheehan is uh, one too. If we get the, if we get this expansion done, we'll have a, we'll have a lot more room. Uh, you can see all the smokers I've got in there too. Uh, we right. can, we're we're a Green Mountain Grill dealer. Mm-hmm. I've also I've just I've also picked up another line of gravity feed smokers that are really big, mm. and there's not a lot of room in there. And I keep them. I have a big carport in the back that I keep the the, the smokers in. We bring them to the front, but we you know you have to display these things so people can see them. Right. And so I, I push them in and out of the store every day, put them out front. But, uh, you know, space is, uh, is at a premium right now. If we, uh, if we expand into another area, I'll have a lot more expense. I want to get more into the fuel business, pellets, charcoal. That is, people are really into that right now. People love to come in and talk about pellets. Is this a good pellet? Does it burn good? I tried this. It didn't burn good. I didn't like it. I'm new to I'm actually new to the pellet gram. I've only been cooking with a pellet smoker for a year. You know, I'm I'm still getting used to the different pellets that that we have. You know, I try some, you know, try the different kinds. All the ones that I have, they burn fine. I've never had any trouble with any of them. And I hear some people say this brand has too much ash. Right. This brand won't heat up. Um, yeah, I don't know if they that's I just I don't know if they're just a little more nerdy than I am. You know, what I like about those pellet grills is you know, if you're if it's a Tuesday night and you want to do some um, smoked meatloaf and uh, macaroni, you go out on the back porch, you push that button, that thing heats up. You go inside, you make the meatloaf and the macaroni. You take it back out there. The smoker sitting at 350, and you put it on. It's just like warming up your oven, right? And, and you get such, and the food is so much better. And then when it's over and done, you just push the button and you turn it off. Before you had to, you know, I'd have to. I use gravity feed smokers you have to fill them up with charcoal. You got to start them, um, and you don't just turn it off. You got to let it all burn out. You know, you don't do quick cooks with them. You know, they're made for long cooks, and the pellet smoker has it has the advantage all over the country. Uh, and you know, the pe- the pellet business is such a small percentage of the market right now. I just can't see it doing anything but growing by leaps and bounds, because once people use them. That's all they use. I know that's all I use now, unless I'm doing a competition. But when I'm cooking at the store, unless I do a big cook and have to use one of my stick burners, if I'm when I'm when I'm doing stuff at the store like wings and uh, a pork butt or a brisket or two, I put them on I put them on the pellet smoker. I can work and cook at the same time, and I don't have to worry about you know keep checking. They're, they're fantastic. What do you guys cook on? I I personally have um i confess that i'm going to say that i have a gas grill a weber gas grill mm-hmm. uh, i have a pellet grill mm-hmm. i have a traeger pellet grill mm-hmm. i have a weber smoky mountain you know the bullet smoker yep. that's what i first started smoking on and i have a, a pit barrel uh, a pit barrel you know the drum smoker you and i almost have the identical list that, that, got a few more stick burners i've got i've got a pit barrel i've got two gas grills got a pellet cooker and um that that the pit barrel is and what a fantastic cooking machine yes i mean that thing is a a rib it's a rib creator Mm -hmm. um i I love mine i I love it yeah i do what do you cook on i have the same as len except i don't have the bullet smoke of the uh, the weather smoker mountain i have Mm -hmm. the gas grill the traeger and the pit barrel 
you know, getting back to what did you first start cooking on? I wish somebody had told me about the Weber Smoky Mountain, you know, when we first started. I would have much rather had gotten one of those and learned how to do barbecue on that than the piece of junk we had that, you know, took it <laughs> yeah. took forever to get hot. Uh, it's it's tough to beat that Weber Smoky Mountain. It, it really is, for especially yeah. for a beginner. It, yeah. it teaches you uh, a little bit of fire management, heat management. And, and it turns out some pretty doggone good food, too. I had watched Pit, uh, Pit Masters, I, and that probably added to it that I wanted to get one. But I definitely, the only thing that I was trying to decide between, and there's plenty of theories, uh, people arguing one way or the other, was whether to get the 22-inch or the 18-inch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up with the 18-inch, and I'm just, I'm very happy with it. And it, you're right. It's just puts out great food you know, fire management. And it's just, it's great. And it doesn't take up a lot of space. You know, I don't have a lot of space in my yard. It's, it's terrific. So, you know, but it's the funniest thing though. And I tell this story, I had the, the gas grill and then I got the Weber Smoky Mountain. So now I have my smoker and I have my gas grill for the quick, you know, get home from work, uh, mm-hmm. you know, heat it up and just yeah. make something quickly. Right. And the, and the Smoky Mountain was on weekends. Well, then we, then I got the then I got the pit barrel, and and I remember my wife saying, "Well, wait, you, what you have? Why do you need that?" <laughs> so, and I said, "Well, one does this and one does that." She's like, "Well, but do you need both?" Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. You didn't say that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. No, would never. <laughs> no, no, of course not. But that's that's what they need to have a, a YouTube video on. How to explain, and Steve, maybe you want to do this, how to explain to your wife or your significant other, when you get another smoker, why you need another smoker. <laughs> there should be. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, the, the shoe analogy doesn't impress them either. You know, why do you need so many shoes? You know, that, you know, they just kind of look at you. I'll tell you one thing. My, uh, I was bringing, I was dragging home a lot of stuff for a while there and and um, I needed a generator. We were going down to the World Food Championships in 2017 down in, uh, oh, that little place in Alabama. I forgot what they, anyway, some beach down there. And so I had to have a generator because they didn't have uh, power or water. So you had to carry everything in. So I had to buy a generator. And I thought, oh, man, if I bring this thing home, because she was already kind of on the fence about this trip, me going down with a bunch of guys to the beach and not taking her. So I had this generator. I bought this generator. And uh, I had it, I had it, we unloaded it in front of the, um, in front of the uh, barbecue shop and it wasn't a barbecue shop then though. I had it sitting there and I was going to move it to the back. Cause I'm, I'm lucky. I have a place to hide things. Cause I've got another, you know, I've got a business where she doesn't, you know, doesn't hang around. Much. <laughs> and she, she pulls up out, out of the blue. She just pulls up. It was like getting caught with another woman. You know, <laughs> she pulls up and she gets out of the car and she goes, what's that? And I went, that's a, um, that's an air purifier, honey. <laughs> I said, it, we get a lot of um, bad air with the cars here. And then you start this up and it kind of cleans the air. She goes, oh, that's a good idea. Walk and walked right by. Kid you not. And I just, I just looked up at the heavens and I said, oh, you won't, pal. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully she doesn't listen to the show because. Uh... No, no. She hates everything about barbecue. I <laughs> <laughs> kept eating it, right? Yeah. No, she doesn't even, she won't eat mine. She'll go to Buddy's. She'll go to Buddy's barbecue here in town, but she won't eat mine. I was going to ask you. It's a Sunday afternoon. You're having twenty people over. 
you're barbecuing. What are you cooking to feed 20 people? Oh, and uh, we're among those people because, you know, <laughs> the next time we're in Ulatawa, we're going to... Uh, we're going to visit Ultawa. I want to make sure I say it right. We're going to make sure we visit. If it's me, if it's me doing the, the party and me doing the menu, I'll do, I, they'll be, you'll be eating brisket. Brisket. Uh, I am, I am the brisket whisperer. Oh, uh, I love it. I love everything about it. I love cooking it. Uh, I do like eating it. I, I just, there's nothing about doing a brisket. I don't, I don't like it. it is my, as big Mo says, it is my Zen. I, I can sit there and do a brisket. I, I'll hang it in the barrel, put it on my offset. I'll put it in the Green Mountain Grill. Uh, I'll cook it on anything. I, I love it. I just love doing it. I love the way they jiggle when they're when you get them right. You know, I love wrapping them up, putting the butter and the beef broth in there and the other stuff, making them tight and watching them get up to 210 degrees. And I just love it. I love everything about it. How many hours are, are you cooking that brisket? Um, it takes me about seven and a half. I cook around 285 until it gets up to, um, I always, I cook real hot. And when it gets up to 165, I'm a, I'm a temperature guy. You know, a lot of people are field guys, color guys. I'm, I use a thermometer when it hits 165 in the point, I wrap it and then I'll ramp the smoker up to 310, 315. And I'll, I'll push it to the limit and, uh, keep checking it. And as soon as the point hits 210. I yank it off and throw it in the Cambro and let it sit there a couple hours. And then everyone then open it up and everybody eats it and they clap and applaud and they, women start hugging you. <laughs> Grown men start crying. It's great. Well, what, what does this say about me guys? Um, I'm going to tell you something. I think I, maybe I need help or, or though I'm talking to the two, two wrong people. Cause you guys will say, no, you're good. The other day I go to Costco, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, right away, I want to go to the back to the meat department. And you know, Costco. I don't know actually if you have. It's a warehouse club, Steve. I don't know if you. Yeah, have, we have it, Costco. You have Costco. Okay. We have running. We have running water too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Indoor plumbing. No, but you know what I mean. Not every place. Look, I Sam's Club is not as common in some places, and BJ's. Yeah, one of those too. All right. Okay. Don't have a BJ's. So I can move there, Jeff. I can move to Altawa. <laughs> Yes. They have a gas station. They have a, a barbecue place and, and they have a Costco. I, I would fit right in. Oh, yeah. Anyway, go to the back. And all I want to do is look at the meat. I'm looking at the brisket. I'm looking at the uh, the ribs. I'm looking at whatever meat they have back there. And, and I'm just salivating. And, and I just want to buy everything and just plan all my weekends and see what I could cook. And I, I think I might have a problem that I might need help. So, oh, that's, that's, that's what we all do that. See, yeah. that's what I mean. See, yeah. now I feel normal. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, you know, you know, when you go to, when we go to Sam's, um, I always go to Sam's cause it's, it's, you know, it's closer and, and Costco just doesn't have what I need. It's more of a, um, it's more of a, a consumer place. Uh, you know, Sam's is more of a small business place. And, uh, you know, usually everybody starts at the front. I go straight to the back and I work my way up to the front. And I get the meat, you know, check it out, get the meat first, and then work my way up. But, I mean, I think that's what all guys do. Yeah, kind of like, well. It's kind of like going to the – it's kind of like when you go to um, the, the TV store. You, know, you go to the you go to the 72-inch line first, you know, the big ones. You know, that's true. I don't want no small one. I want a 72. 
That's true. And then I also, I looked at salmon. I will say, you know, I, I don't always want to, you know, cook just, just, you know, meat. I looked at salmon, but of course, and they have big pieces of salmon, but I wanted to get the biggest piece of salmon. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't want to just, you know, and of course they're all big pieces of salmon, but I wanted the one that was the biggest. Our Sam's has, um, they have enormous briskets. It's nothing to find a 23, 24 pound brisket. I mean, they're, some of them are just huge. Those are usually ones I'll get. I like to get the big ones. Right. And cook yeah, them, give them yeah, to everybody. You're not cooking the, a brisket that size. You, I mean, you're not cooking in seven and a half hours. No, not that big. I oh, no, so. no. Yeah, that, okay. takes, <laughs> that takes about eight and a half or nine. That takes an extra hour or two. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, well, that now, means, you know, now, now I have cooked um, my my partner Frank, who's who's my teammate, uh, over Memorial Day, and we did a video. We did a uh, a brisket, Matt Pittman style. We did a twenty four hour brisket, where we started it at one hundred eighty degrees, and uh, monitored it in the smoker, and went twenty four hours before we uh, pulled it. And you know, the thing about it is, it 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 was good. It, don't get me wrong; it was tasted great but it was no better than the one I do in seven and a half and eight hours. I mean, there's no difference. So right. yeah. you know, we just wanted to, we just wanted to try inject or not. Um, yeah, you can. I do it. I do. I inject in contests, but um, you know, sometimes I will. It depends on who's who I'm cooking it for. A lot of times we, we incorporate a cook into a lesson. People will come in and Steve, you know, I'm ready to do a brisket. Will you help me with this? And I say, sure. And I'll tell them to bring it in Friday night and, I'll show them how to trim it and uh, they'll want to inject it. And, um, you know, we'll inject it the next morning. I show them how to put kosher salt on the, on the brisket and leave it in the refrigerator overnight. And we'll leave it at the, at the uh, shop overnight in my refrigerator. And then they'll come back in the morning and we'll fire up the smoker and uh, I'll let them inject it. See how they do it. Maybe people like to do that. But uh, Before we, before we wrap up, uh, I want to make sure we get, you uh, plug your anything social media wise, what you have out there. If anybody wants to contact you, please go ahead and, and let people know how to reach you. Al's Nest Barbecue um, on Facebook, Al's Nest Barbecue on Instagram, and Al's Nest Barbecue on YouTube. Just go to Al's Nest Barbecue. O W L S. It's the bird, not the person. Al's, yes. Al's Nest Barbecue. Name for Ultawa. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Looking on the Facebook page, you have a lot of pictures. So. You know, check it out. It's really uh, good stuff on here. We uh, we have fun. We like to document things, and uh, it's 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 a fun thing. It's you know, it should be fun. You know, the ba- the backyard thing is what's is what's really the most fun. You know, competing is great. I love it um, when we get to do it. But um, you know, talking to the backyard people, the people that cook in their backyard are so passionate, and uh, they want to learn, and they they want to be better. And uh, that's what I that's what I really appreciate. And they come. And they'll ask for advice and uh, suggestions, and they're not—they're not, you know, just making small talk. They really listen, and there's no better feeling in the world than when somebody posts something on Facebook. You know, say, "Hey, I did my first brisket. Thanks, Steve Ray at the Alzheimer's Barbecue for the advice." That's, you know, that's kind of the the best feeling in the world that you get—that you know, you help somebody, and uh, you know, you made a, you made an acquaintance along the way, and you made a customer, and uh, you made a good cook. And Steve, I, I get the feeling that the people that come into your store, they know that they they're not getting just the here take the most expensive cooker and you know that's it. No, no, 
No, exactly. we get so we get people. It, uh, yeah, people come in with them. You know, they want they have electric cookers. I never judge anybody what what they cook on. That's that's wrong. Right. Um, you know, people not everybody can afford a, a expensive cooker, and if you got an electric cooker, then there there's a bunch of books on electric you know electric smokers. You know, get one and read it, and be the best be the best smoker you can be with an electric smoker. You know, they they make good food too. One last question for me, Steve. You've been in competition, so give me your the biggest competition that you ever competed in, and then your best finish in a competition. The biggest we ever competed in was the 2017 World Food Championships in barbecue. Uh, the best we ever finished was uh, three years ago in Calhoun, Georgia, as a big KCBS event, and we finished sixth. And we were so excited because we were, you know, we were, were standing there and we were in it. You know, we, we were in it down to the brisket. And, uh, you know, we had three top 10 calls. You know, if we'd have done a little bit better in brisket, we could have won it. But it was very exciting. I couldn't imagine what we'd done if we'd have won something. It was great. It was a fantastic feeling. There were a lot of good teams there, too. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, a, it wasn't a secondary contest. It was big. There's a bunch of big guys there. Steve, we greatly appreciate you coming on with us. As I said at the beginning, we've wanted to have you on for a long time, and I'm so glad that we were able to make it happen. Thank you so much. And Steve, if it's not too much to ask, can we have you back? Will you come back on with us? Absolutely. Have, me, have Doug on with me. Huh? Me, you, and Doug. Let's all four of us do a show. You got yeah. it. We'll make that happen. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We will definitely we will definitely do everything we can to make that happen. As a matter of fact, Jeff and I will will close our mics and we'll just let you guys talk. And that will <laughs> we'll get huge ratings for that, I think. So Doug, now Doug's pretty interesting. Yes. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's a, he's a good cook too. Yeah. If you've heard some of our shows, you know he he's a friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Um we we love Doug, so and and so we'd be thrilled, absolutely thrilled to have you guys on there. You know how much, Jeff, do you know how much knowledge, barbecue knowledge we would have if we had the two of them on? You know what? If we've had them on, you adding us would would have not add anything to it. They would have so much knowledge. We, we, we uh, I don't know about that. Doug's not that great. <laughs> well, Steve, we greatly appreciate it. We thank you and have a good evening. We look Thanks, forward to talking to you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Jeff, is there going to be a part three? You just That's never right. know. He specifically said, invite Doug Shiding. That's, we, we love having Doug Shiding, so that was an easy request. Yes. To do. So we really enjoyed that. Len, what do you got for us? Mail time. Mail time. I can't believe I get to sing this song. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me wanna wag my tail. Let it come, I wanna will. Jeff? Yes? That can only mean one thing. What was that? All the things you read about how to contact us are not wasted. Oh, good. Somebody actually did email us at baseballbbq at gmail.com. They did. And as a matter of fact, we received such a nice letter to us. It's from Michael Piazzi. Not Piazza, 
Michael Piazzi. Well, if okay. Michael Piazza, if Mike Piazza wants to send in a letter, please do. <laughs> yes, but you know what? I, I it wouldn't mean as much to me or to you as this letter from Michael Piazzi. So let me read this to you. Here we go. Hi, Len and Jeff. First, I want to say how much I enjoy your show with its banter and guests of various and interesting backgrounds that talk about two of my favorite subjects. My wife is tired of hearing me talk about both of them. I really enjoyed the segment with Pine Tar. I know he mentioned vintage baseball gatherings in Gettysburg and at Old Bethpage Village, but I wanted to mention that there is also a vintage baseball event that will take place at Brewery Armagang just outside Cooperstown. It will be the weekend of May 15th to 16th. It would be really cool if you guys have the chance to come up and we could watch the games, tour the museum, and sample some local barbecue. If you're really brave, I could serve you my modest attempts at barbecue. Mike. Jeff, can I just add one thing to this that he left off? What? What was that? I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, Mike. (laughs) But thank you so much for that letter. Yes, that was a great letter. Thank you, Mike. Yes. And, and Mike, we, we have been remiss in, in getting back to you. But if, if they do have this, if, they, you know, if, if it's still on, Jeff and I are going to see what we can do about getting there. We, hopefully, if we are able to, we can meet you. But we thank you for being a listener. We, you know we appreciate every single of our listeners. And especially, I love the, the, the fact that when a listener takes the time to write in, that's pretty special. Yes. All right. So, Jeff, what do we have coming up now? We have Jordan Scott from com. Our guest on Baseball and BBQ is an advocate to making the ballpark experience a safe one. He's on a mission to have all baseball stadiums, both major and minor leagues, to be equipped with extended protective netting from foul pole to foul pole. He has been featured in magazines, newspaper, and television, getting word out to pressure MLB to make mandatory this very important cause. Jordan Scott is a baseball fan, stadium safety advocate, and author of an upcoming book detailing foul ball injuries in professional ballparks and what can be done to ensure fan safety. Mr. Scott is also the founder of FoulBallSafetyNow.com. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Jordan Scott. So, Jordan, I, I read all the material you sent to us. Uh, your website is very bold. It's out there. What was the impetus of taking on this course? Well, that's great that you guys are having me. Thank you again. I thought it was long overdue that each stadium, each ballpark would be certified as safe. And I feel like baby steps have been taken. Piecemeal approach has been taken by Major League Baseball. But clearly for 100 years, the baseball role has protected the owners from liability and and, uh, damages to fans. And I feel like that's unjust. People shouldn't have been in those hot spots to begin with. Not only that fans have been in harm's way, but on top of that, when they've been hurt, they haven't been protected because of it. Jordan, uh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, could you tell us what the baseball rule is, please? Sure. So the baseball rule is something on the back of the ticket that It states that if anyone is hurt, who's the holder of that particular ticket at a particular game, that 
they will not hold Major League Baseball responsible for that particular injury. And people have challenged the baseball rule. There have been a few settlements, but most of the time, in the hundreds of cases that have probably been put forward, they haven't gotten out of their lawyer's office. Their lawyer had told them they don't have much to stand on. The times when they have gotten into the courts and they had a favorable judge in a local state, in a particular state, when, when there was some momentum in the proceedings, that's when baseball would make a settlement with the plaintiff because they feared discovery. Baseball's been withholding information from the general public. They don't want the general public to know the regularity of how many people are hurt or how fast particular balls go in particular sections. I hope that wasn't too convoluted, but yeah, baseball rule is a rule that most fans do not realize that when they go to a game, if they're injured, baseball is not going to take care of you. I actually, I actually knew of the baseball rule because I, when I was a kid, I read the back of the ticket like an idiot, <laughs> which I guess it's not an idiot. You, should, you actually should read the back of it. But I was always, always up on top of Shea Stadium where you know, I wasn't going to get hurt. But, you know, reading your material, looking at your website, these balls, these foul balls come pretty fast. We have seen in recent years they protect the netting going down some of the sidelines and ending around the dugout, maybe a little past the dugout. You're advocating go foul ball to foul, foul pole to foul pole. Why is that? Well, I'm not necessarily saying foul pole to foul. I don't know what the standard is. When I was asked by a reporter, can I rate the, the safety from stadium to stadium on what stadium is safer than another stadium? I'm not in any position to say this stadium is 30% safer than that stadium or this particular ballpark is much greater chance of getting injured, you know, than that particular ballpark. I don't believe I'm that person who's qualified to do that. I want to make all stadiums retrofit to how they should be in particular ballparks and stadiums all over the country. We're talking more than 100 ballparks, including major league and minor league ballparks. They all need to have to be certified as safe by, I would think, like an independent netting council. It should not be up to the local owners to decide where the netting goes. Children are at risk. 39 kids have been maimed since 2008, and, and that's mostly head injuries. And the data that we have is, minor, is, is mostly in the major leagues. But since there's almost four times as many games in the minor leagues, we believe that we know that there's probably a whole lot of data. We just haven't found it yet. So, Jordan, let's start at the beginning here. When did you first become interested in this and decide, how did you finally decide that this was a cause you felt was worthy of you undertaking? And then what we'll get into is is also you tried to commit a big financial, give financially to this. So let's let's start with the first part. Sure. Actually, in Brooklyn, uh, in the early 2000s, when cyclones had just gotten there, I was with a group of people, and we were standing outside the stadium before we had gone into the ballpark, Keyspan Park, I think it was called at the time, and just standing there, like on the street, and a ball comes flying out from behind home plate, and it hits a little young man that we're with in the, in the forearm, and it left a big well, and it was unannounced, and there was no plan 
for the cyclones to have a scenario where there would be people on the street, maybe high schoolers or other people maybe with gloves catching these balls. But there, it was a random ball that just came down and hit somebody. And I thought that was pretty weird, that there was no plan to deal with the flying balls. If they go outside by first, first base, it's going to go in the parking lot and maybe break a windshield. If it goes behind home plate or third base, it's going to go on the street. And I thought that was unusual. And then in 2006, I, you remember the game very well. It was game six, Mets and Cardinals, because I understand you guys are Met contingent. So am I. I was sitting a few seats away from Jerry Seinfeld in a playoff game. And at the time, there were no nets behind the dugout. And I realized I'm not having a great time here. I am very nervous. I don't understand how people could just relax. Like, you know, no ball can come by. And I have some video guys of balls coming home, coming in from behind home plate, and they're pretty, pretty graphic. So that being said, I wasn't having a good time. I wasn't feeling relaxed. And, and then I guess, go, let's fast forward a decade or so, uh, well, more than a decade. I heard about the incident, what happened at the Yankee Stadium with Todd Frazier and a uh, little girl. And in 2019, what really got me involved in my writing and and that led to the writing of the book was the incident in Houston with Almora and a little girl in Houston. And that was pretty sad. And that was sort of the genesis of me thinking about this and being uncomfortable with it and realizing that we're, we're basically sitting ducks and an announcement and microprint on the back of the ticket is not going to get us out of the way of those speeding foul balls. And even if they did tell us 10 or a hundred times, Please be careful with foul balls. Science says you can't really get out of the way of those 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. HBO had done a segment a couple of years ago in Japan and, and showed the culture and the netting, and they also had a simulator of you standing behind a, a plexiglass and balls traveling 100 miles an hour. So staring without blinking for three hours isn't even going to do it. You can't protect your kids. And where Mrs. Goldblum died, in uh, two, th- two years ago in 2018, she was behind home plate. So the vertical netting behind home plate wasn't raised high enough. And she got hit with a 93 mile an hour ball, unfortunately. And, and I believe in, in, in Dodger Stadium? Dodger Stadium. That happened in Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. But she, and then and the other person who died was also in the last 50 years was at Dodger mm-hmm. Stadium, a 14 year old young man in 1970. And Jordan, so. You offered $50,000 to both the Mets and the Yankees, so we're talking hundred grand, yep. to do their netting for them, which is extremely generous. I don't know, you know, that's a lot of money for you to offer. Uh, we could certainly use some backing for our podcast. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should talk because that money was not accepted. So now uh, you might have some of that still, but... How, how do you? How does uh, one come about that kind of money that you're going to? And and I don't need to know exactly, you know, how you came about it. But the the, the fact that you could offer that kind of money to them, right? And you're willing to offer that. How'd you come about? Yeah, I, I would. You know, certainly, if they took my money, no questions asked, I would have been happy to fork it over. I'm I'm a real estate broker in New York, and I'm I'm okay. I'm doing okay financially, and. I've made the gesture. I was hoping that would spark a movement. 
and but then it I didn't. Would, no, no, it did not. I offered a week later, two weeks later, in another PR Newswire release, I offered to any other major league club that would take me up on my offer. And nobody um, did? Did they make it back to you or they just ignored you? No, I, I got a few letters back that some teams were doing some upgrades or you'd be pleased to know that we're doing this or you'd be pleased to know we're doing that. But I believe that the only way it can really get done the right way is all these stadiums need to be retrofit. No children, no adults, no seniors should be facing 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 mile an hour balls in split seconds. They need to be certified as safe. Whether we can entirely cut out injuries like broken fingers and broken nails, I don't know. But broken faces should be a thing of the past. People dying should be a thing of the past. Too many maimings. Is it your contention that in the case of Linda Goldblum, who yep. passed away uh, when she was 79 at Dodger Stadium, yep. the net wasn't high enough, but they had emergency medical personnel at, on each level. So mm-hmm. they kind of knew of the dangers that the foul balls can happen. And they apparently they, they were right there to help, help Mrs. Goldberg out, out of the stadium and all that. They didn't think it had enough to put, this, to put the netting up, but they know, they know of the dangers of the stadium. Is that correct? Sure, sure. I believe in, in court cases, if the court proceedings ever had gone further, then we would learn, oh my goodness, baseball has been sitting on all this information all these years. I believe we're all going to have an epiphany and realize that we had gone to certain games. Maybe we got free corporate seats. Maybe we got free tickets. Maybe we got great seats on StubHub because our team wasn't doing so good that year for 30 bucks. And we, we were sitting like in amazing seats. Once fans realized that they were sitting ducks, in 2019, and on the major league level in the 26 and one half week season, 15 maimings, that's once every other week, throughout Major League Baseball, once every other week. So would Children's Services have said something about this if they knew 50 years ago, maybe after Alan Fisher died, that people were getting not necessarily killed, but head injuries and rushed to the hospital too often? Would they say, wait a second, maybe we ought to adapt the Japan model? Because Japan, they have a netting culture and they have a respect culture to their fans. They will allow certain fans to sit in certain sections, but they'll provide a glove and a helmet. But I, I believe that no children would be allowed. So if a parent wants to be a daredevil, go ahead, be a daredevil, sign a waiver, but don't bring your kid. And if, if family services, children's services, consumer protection, they knew about this, let's say when Alan Fisher died, if baseball said, hey, hey, we need to tell you something, general public, This is happening far too often. And we have to let you know you can't sit sit there anymore. As in, you know, they're trying to prevent, they're trying to create two sides against each other. Some people are in favor of Nets, some people are not. Even if we are not in favor of Nets, we weren't maybe in favor of seatbelts when we were kids rolling around in the back seats. But they came down and they said, you got to put the belts on and that's the way it is. And I don't believe that the... The government agencies really understand and still don't understand the great length of the problem. I, I saw, sorry, Jeff, but I saw that on YouTube, what you're talking about actually with Japan. And I saw something, and I wanted to, this was in my notes, I wanted you to comment on this if you knew about sure. it, which apparently you do. 
they stand there with flashlights and they shine them on the areas and the fans that where the foul balls go. And according to the YouTube video, they check on each fan that catches a foul ball to check that they're okay. Is, is that yeah. Good? Yeah. Oh yeah. They, they do. And, and I don't, you see what, what remains in America are the hot spots. What remains in Japan, I would say are the medium to low spots when it comes to risk, great risk of getting really seriously injured by a foul ball. But there's no 90 mile an hour balls that are hitting you in a split second. And America, whatever, we're all ducking for our lives on a regular basis. And then it's back to eating popcorn. I don't get it. But that's what we've been doing. And we've been accepted. it. We've accepted that, I guess. But I believe 90% of fans really had no idea that somebody was maimed in a section equivalent to the section they're sitting in the day before or a week later. If they knew, they would be like, and you're allowing me to bring my kids? You know, but I, I believe people have put their kids at risk, not realizing they were at great risk. And if they knew the regularity of this missing was a regular thing, they wouldn't like that either. I'm not in the culture where I'm going to bring my, my kids. I'm not going to bring my kids to this type of culture where these regular occurrences are happening. These close calls are like almost like hot dogs and peanuts. Boy, I look at it. And a netting is not going to obstruct your view or anything. I mean, I used to go to hockey games uh, when there was no netting. Now there's netting around. Mm-hmm. You know, I got used to it. And you really can't tell much of a difference. Yeah, yeah, and the owners could have done this a long time ago. They could have brought season ticket holders in and say to them, hey, hey, this is just a reality, and hey, B, you'll get used to the Nets, and if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. And I'm sure 90% of the people would have said, hey, it's about the greater good, we'll adjust, and those that don't adjust will move to a different section. But they created this pitting, putting two sides against each other, and I believe most people would be fine with it. Now, you have one chapter of this book that you're putting out. And in in this chapter, you mention that you are a Met fan and that you go to games. I would I'm wondering if uh, when you go to these games, if you kind of like have to go incognito, maybe do the Bobby Valentine disguise routine, because now you are you're the guy who wants to put up netting. Yeah, well, I mean. There wasn't much baseball to see this past year, but uh, in 2019, when I got started, I had still visited City Field uh, during that summer uh, in 2019. And for the most part, I thought I was in, nobody recognized me or anything like that. I wasn't really that concerned about being recognized. About my own personal safety, uh, I wasn't worried about that. I wasn't in certain spots that would have still caused a possibility of uh, a serious injury and I wasn't with any kids. So each stadium really needs to be looked at from, from vertical behind home plate where Mrs. Goldblum had died. Nobody should be facing 93 mile an hour balls from behind home plate. And as I don't know if you guys know in the literature, I have a couple of, in a couple of weeks from now when fans may be allowed to come back to spring training games in Florida and Arizona, a year ago at this time, I had called all of the spring training facilities that host home games. I think there's 23 or 24 stadiums or ballparks, which are shared with the 30 stadiums. But all the home teams, I spoke to 30 different box offices. And 
16 out of 30 still did not have extended netting beyond the end of the dugout, 1-6. And I thought that was ridiculous. Manfred had implied three or four months earlier that teams would be doing a whole lot more when it came to netting. So three months after he talked in early December, this was uh, the end of February, beginning of March, before we shut down with COVID, I got in touch with all of the box offices in Florida and Arizona. And I was pretty shocked to find that only 16 out of 30 had extended netting beyond the end of the dugout. Where are little children getting maimed beyond the end of the dugout? It doesn't add up. It's pretty bad. And I would have then called all the minor league cities. We're reducing this year, or they're reducing. I think it's uh, instead of 160 clubs, it's only going to be 120. But either way, calling 100 ballparks would have taken me some hours to do, but I couldn't get in touch with anyone to do a little scorekeeping. I would have called 160, but this coming year, if the minor leagues are open, there'll only be 120. They're having some other problems. Now, you wrote, I believe, two letters to Commissioner Manfred. It's on your website. So anybody wants to read them, it's at valvelsafetynow.com. It's published out there. It's not secret. You you wrote two letters to Commissioner Manfred. What did he write you back? Uh, No communication from Major League Baseball. I did correspond by sending an email on both of them. I do have receipt of the email. No, no correspondence from them. And, and I understand there was some negotiations for more netting between the players union and the, uh, an MLB, but my book isn't out as of yet, but it does show best tokenism on, on the union point of view on the union stance on this, if they really were, serious about it, a hard line that we need to have netting for the fans. I mean, they testify that they don't, they want their own families to sit in certain sections. I've had some minor leaguers who are, who are currently AAA players, uh, and they're on the record and more power to them. They don't even have a union yet. There's no union in the minor leagues. But they went on the record saying that their moms and dads were told, you need to sit certain sections, but, you, but they can't get on the public address and tell everybody else. So it can't be a great feeling knowing that the burden on the shoulders of the young person striving to be in the major leagues is they're in, they're in a community that does maiming. They know it's not if, but when. Right. Now, I, I, I know uh, just as a fan, I know about the collective bargaining agreement. I know it's supposed to come up at the end of next year, at the, at, at the next season. And I'm also cynical enough to know that issue that you're talking about, probably very low on the list compared to what they're talking about in, in, in terms of money. But it should be it should be up there. And, you know, it's really, I believe, on the owner's part. I mean, you said yourself it takes, what, $50,000 to, to retrofit it? I mean, to these owners, that's, that's nothing. And it's, it's a shame. How could the people in baseball get the word out? I mean, we know that Manfred has said, you know, some things are happening. I think Guarantee Rate Paul Park in Chicago has done the retrofitting or foul pole. I think they're the only one who's done it so far. But how could major people in Major League Baseball get the word out? Or are they afraid to get the word out? Well, yeah, I mean, some people, usually they get, the players will react, you know, the night of the Amor incident or other nights. It's when the reporter asks them in that particular moment, how do you feel? And they, and they all stayed, you know, and I have a lot of quotes in my book of them stating that they won't allow their own families in certain sections. But here they go right back. To the, to the to the you know next guy is up and same thing could happen on the next pitch. It doesn't make any sense. I believe a, a brick was potentially loose in a building. 
I would believe that the owner would be liable for knowing that the brick was loose. And if it had a direct hit, the owner of the building would be responsible for that as well. Baseball knows it's not if, when, how many thousands of balls go into the seats, how many go at this speed and what sections. And I don't believe they're doing enough. They're, they're not making sure that each stadium is certified as safe. I believe it's more or less going to take an independent netting council. They're going to be the watchdog. They're going to have to come in and take each stadium. So one stadium, even the first two that had done something in 2019 where they extended the netting further down the lines, the Washington and Chicago White Sox. When they had done that, wouldn't have been time to say, well, let's see if they got it right. You know, and the Dodgers took a year after Mrs. Goldman died. One full year. They raised the net behind home plate. Did they get it right? Hope so. Did the 29 other teams address the issue behind home plate? Doubt it. And that's on the major league level. Spring training, like I said, is coming. That's my next pressing business because, you know, they may let 1,000 people in out of 5,000. There's still going to be 1,000 sitting ducks or potential sitting ducks in certain sections. That ain't right. Little kids are coming. Seniors are coming. I heard of a, a, a person in, who used to, Houston Astros used to play in Kissimmee, Florida. And someone told me recently about a volunteer vendor or volunteer usher uh, who was a senior, a woman. She lost her eye. Now I think Houston is now sharing with Washington down in West Palm Beach, if I'm not mistaken. So... I'm, I'm into this subject. I think it's really important that, you know, fans to go to foulballsafetynow.com, sign the petition. Let's start getting some real momentum going and say, you know what? We demand to be safe at the game. We should be relaxed. We should not, you know, be in the dark about what's real and what's not when it comes to the, the possibility of being hurt. George, here's the truth. Here's what I'm sure nobody's going to disagree with. If there was a player that the team wanted and the uh, agent approached the owner and said, my player wants an additional 50000 this year to play, they'd give it in a heartbeat. That's a fact. The fact is fan safety is extremely important. But here's, here's something that if you look, I, I was watching something also on YouTube about this. There was a video and they were showing uh, it was somebody else. I was waiting for you to come on there. I was thinking maybe they would have you on. And they were talking about all the injuries that were happening and how it's so important to have fan safety and put the nets up. So you're not alone in your uh, we know that, you know, there are other people that feel this way. And, and, and Jeff and I feel this way as well, especially after reading your your items. But then if you look at the comments, there are comments from people that say oh this is ridiculous they need to uh, safety is the most important thing and then there are other people well i pay to go see a game and i don't want to have the netting interrupt me you know but block my view and i pay for these great seats and if you're not going to pay attention to the game and be on your phone and you know bring a glove like all of a sudden these these fans are like slick fielders you know they can just they'll be able to just field the, the foul ball but it's amazing to me that there are people that are saying, you know, you assume the risk and, hey, if you get hurt, you get hurt. I, I think, are you kidding me? I, I just I'm amazed that there are people that are against the fans being safe. It, it's not uh, it's not as one sided as as I would think. 
Well, unfortunately, the owners have kept this climate. And in response to children or people getting hurt, they're saying we're looking into it. What are they looking into? I compare baseball to big tobacco. Big tobacco knew the risks 50 years ago. When Alan Fish died in 1970, baseball knew the risk to fans 50 years ago. Baseball chooses to create this argument that fans need to protect their children or watch their children or the story that uh, they're saying, oh, they're not interested in having nets. You can't protect your children and you need to level with them. You should have leveled with them a long time ago and said the nets are going to be needed. Once an outside agency finds out what's really happening here, they're going to come in and say the nets are coming. So let us beat them to it. I'm hoping agencies come in in Florida and Arizona. Um, I'm writing the governor of Florida and Arizona basically stating a baseball state of emergency, that they need to get some independent netting inspectors down to make sure that they can certify these stadiums as safe. Based on my research from one year ago, I doubt anything has been done. And certainly if they have taken some other baby steps in making improvements at those spring training games, then we we didn't hear about it. And I can't talk to nobody right now. People are not answering the phones. Now, on your website, you have a a page where it says media and a link to all these different articles on it. And I clicked on a couple of them. And I got to tell you, looking at the pictures in there, you know, people getting hurt, a woman getting 40 stitches and a little girl with a big, big uh, bulge in her eye. It's just just horrible. And it's just not little girls because – Two years ago, when I was in Arizona, I sat down second row in right field, way out in you know, the middle of right field, and a ball came, and I, was, I turned away for some reason, and the ball hit the guy's hand in front of me. I mean, it, if his hand wasn't there, it was in my face. I was, like, obviously very shaken from that. So it's just not kids. It's everybody involved. And you're right. It happened, like, in a split second. Yep, it definitely is. And some of the people that you mentioned, uh, they've been coming to the press conferences, which is very good. And, you know, I rolled out on the last press conference, we actually promoted the website, the the press conference in Korea. And a prior week we had to that earlier this year, we also did something in Japan. Because Korea and Japan, people have been hurt, but not to the extent where people have been maimed and Mrs. Goldman died, people are not facing 80, 90, 100, 110 mile an hour split second balls. And when people are facing these balls, there was someone who did get hurt in Korea and won 400,000 American dollars, I learned. I was like, very interesting. So I guess the baseball rule is in effect in Korea because somebody actually did sue and got $400,000. And maybe that was a one-time thing or maybe, uh, you know, there was def- maybe it was a shot down the right field, the left field line, and the ushers blew the whistles and did everything they can do, but someone still got hurt? I don't really know. But somebody did collect the 400000 in Korea. In America, they're not giving you anything. They're not even giving you courtesy in a lot of many of the places where, you know, this baseball rule. There's been a hot dog vendor in Kansas City throwing out free hot dogs and it was wrapped in aluminum paper and wrapper and it hit somebody's eye and, and took out their cornea or their retina. I mean, whatever. And they didn't want to pay the bill. Baseball rule. 
So even on stuff like that, a mascot throwing out something for promotion, you know, they're not even really interested in calling you at the hospital and saying, you know, we, we got this. We want, we want to give you free season tickets or we want to give you something, but they're not even paying your medical bill. So that being said, you know, love to answer any questions or tell you what my hopes are or anything I can bring to this conversation, get people to foul ball safety now. Absolutely. And uh, I also want to say, you know, I remember a scene in a movie, Fever Pitch, where I think Drew Barrymore's character gets hit with a foul ball. It's used in comedic ways. But when you think about it, that's not really, that's not funny. I mean, that, that, that was very dangerous. You know, really, it, it's, it's a horrible thing to get hit with a foul ball. And is that what, is that the thrill of people just want, want to get a foul ball that they don't want the nets there just to get the foul ball? I mean, they can lower the nets and the players can throw some balls out in between innings and be done with it. It seems crazy not to have the nets up, up there. Well, I, I believe the younger generation is going to look at us and realize that there were a lot of insiders to the game that did not want to blow the whistle. They didn't want to bite the hand that feeds them. That's everyone in the game. We never really hear broadcasters talking about foul ball scenarios. We don't see sideline reporters going down to the incident where the ball comes into the seats and then telling us five minutes later, somebody was hurt, somebody wasn't hurt. You know, we don't get that conversation between, you know, the broadcasters, the baseball writers who are journalists first. They should be doing a little bit more on reporting to the fans about the foul ball issue. As a player would, they would tell their own families. It kind of reminds me of when a football player gets hurt, they're lying on the ground and the broadcasters go, let's put things in perspective. And after two seconds, it's over and, and they don't talk about it again. But yeah. it really should be brought up. So, so go to foulballsafety.now. When is your book coming out? Foulballsafetynow.com. Foulballsafetynow.com. Thank you very much. And but, uh, you're writing a book. When is that book supposed to be out? I have another editor working on the book. So it's not like I'm going to be going from editor to editor. But I do believe it's still unfolding and it's still new people are coming and doing interviews for the book. But the book is basically done. I'm looking for a publisher, so I, I believe I'd love to get the book out soon, but I'm looking to have some traction on the book. So I'm going to continue doing these press conferences, and the immediate order of business right now is to make sure that fans, when they're allowed back in Arizona and Florida, possibly in the next few weeks, that they're protected and that states of Florida and Arizona are dealing with this. And I'm going to remind the media that the letter that's going out, which will be going out tomorrow or the next day. And the press conference will be in another week. And it's all a matter of hopefully people going down to Florida and Arizona and whether the media is covering it and, and, and deciding whether they're going to finally spell it out to the fans that it's not if, but when you possibly may be hurt. That will hopefully create a little bit of reaction and and get people outraged. I believe most fans will have that epiphany of like, you mean we were at risk when we went twice a year, when we had gone twice a year with our little kids? Yeah, you were. How do you feel about that? Hmm. You know, so that's really what I want to get at. I don't know. If I'm, I'm an uncle. I'm not a parent. But if my sister found out, I took my nephew to a situation where somebody was maimed in the section 
in the same section a day before or a week later in the same stadium or something equivalent, she would be like, what are you doing? Who were you to bring my kid in that situation? And I hope that's the reaction we get start getting from the fans. And then, you know, Major League Baseball will have mud they won't be able to wipe off their face, which they truly deserve. Jordan, if perfect scenario, book's about to come out, you put blood, sweat, and tears into it, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, they all say, Jordan, we're going to put all the netting up that you want. There will not be a single incident again that we can, you know, we're, we're going to control it. Or you can have your book come out and be extremely successful. Which are you choosing? The former. The former. Because uh, to get that on my resume for the investment and the time that I put into it and for that to get on that announcement to be made, that would make me feel like I did something today. I did something in my life. Then you, you are truly genuine and I respect everything that you're doing. Thank you. I think it's a wonderful thing to, to go to a game. There are so many risks that a person undertakes in their life, whether you get into a car on a plane, uh, whatever, walking on the street, Going to a game, you should feel safe. I mean, it's just, there should be some, you go to a movie theater, you want to feel like you're going to sit there for an hour and a half or whatever it is, watch a movie, walk out. Going to a baseball game, you should feel like you're going to go to the game, you're going to be able to take a moment to look at your phone or, you know, talk to your kid for a second and not worry and feel safe. Those are things that you should be able to do. Respect what you're doing and baseball and barbecue, the podcast, that's us. <laughs> we will do whatever we can to help you in your cause. Thank you. And, yes. and we appreciate you. Sure. How, how could uh, people get in touch with you? Or I know there's a petition on your website. There's also a uh, update where you can sign up and email you. Any other way that people can get in touch with you? Just go to Foul Ball Safety now. This should be the link. It goes right to my direct email and really would love to hear, hear uh, get a message from you or get, get a message of support. But the victim advocates that have been coming to the uh, press conferences and some of the people that you described that are on the website, they're coming back. Erwin Goldblum, who's the widower, Mrs. Goldblum, he's been to four of the press conferences that I've had in the last two months. And, and the victim advocates are saying the same thing. They just want it to be a safe experience for someone. And nobody should feel like this is going to happen or something terrible is going to happen. Nobody should be surprised by, by what may come at going to a game when it comes to leaving in a way you never want to ever think about leaving the game. So, yeah, thank you so much. This was great. Uh, and before we go, I just want to let people know there's also a Facebook page on Fabulous Safety Now. I assume you put some updates on there as well. Thank you very much for joining us, Jordan. All right. Thank you. Wow. Jeff, a lot of stuff there. A lot of stuff. stuff. Serious stuff. Yeah. Very serious stuff. Nobody should go to a baseball game and have to worry that they're not going to come out alive. Or obviously, people dying at the stadium. It should never happen. It's rare. But how about going and getting extremely hurt? I, it's just, it, it shouldn't be. Right. Especially, especially when it could be prevented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you said, you know, 
at your own risk. There's nothing we can do to prevent it. But that's not true. Right. They can prevent it. It takes tragedies to, you know, have people or, or corporations or whatever to make the changes, make the adjustments, to make it safer. Right. Happened in hockey. Uh, unfortunately, one little girl died with a puck hit her in the head. Now they have netting all around. They should do the same in baseball. And it takes someone like Jordan Scop, who, you know, is, is using his voice. And it, I, it's not easy what he's doing because it's not a, it's not glamorous. You right. know, it's not this, this whole glamorous thing to, to, to put netting in the stadiums, but it's a necessity. And uh, we will support Jordan in any way we can. And we appreciate everyone that goes to the games to try and, you know, be safe. You know, also when you're watching the game, until they do put all this netting up, you know, you're there to watch the game. Don't, you know, if you're going to look at your phone or whatever, do it in between innings, you know, not while the action is going on. There's certainly time to look at your phone or to turn away. But when the game's going on, just. Yeah, absolutely. A ball whizzing by is, at least if you could see it a little, you might have. All right, Jeff, it's unfortunate, but episode 88 is going to be coming to a close. Yes. Before it does, we would like to ask everyone to go to BaseballBBQ.com for their awesome grilling, baseball grilling accessories. It's getting, the weather's starting to get a little nicer. People are going out to to grill, to to barbecue. They're going to have some new tools coming out. And it's, they're great. You know, they're terrific. They're great gifts, you know, with Father's Day is going to be coming up and it, you know, soon and they make terrific gifts. So please baseballbbq.com. And now Jeff, how are we going to end the show? With a song called Ace and Bolo from the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser. Enjoy. And guys, we look forward to seeing you in episode 89. See ya.